Grab your phone, tablet, or whatever you listen on and get comfy. Because here's another great episode of the Pop Zara Podcast. Enjoy it. All right. So, hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Pop Zara Podcast. Surprise that you thought you were getting Nate today, but nope. You're here with me, Ev, editor-at-large at Pop Zara. Today, we're going to be chatting with the author and illustrator, two amazing people of the awesome graphic novel that's coming out in September, Lights, Planets, People. Please give a warm Popsara podcast welcome to Molly Naylor and Lizzie Stewart. Yay! I'm clapping for you guys. Hi. I love this because like this graphic novel holds a lot of topics that are really close to my heart. Exploring a galaxy outside of our own, the importance of communication and mental illness, like specifically bipolar disorder. So for anyone who may not be familiar with bipolar, it's a mental illness where there are huge shifts in moods. Um, one minute you're flying high and the next you could be feeling like you're in the pit of despair and the entire world is freaking ending. And I only know this because I've seen it firsthand, like I've worked with someone who has bipolar. So I just have to ask Molly and Lizzie, have either of you ever like experienced someone with bipolar or if you have bipolar disorder? Uh, okay, okay. first it's Lizzie, um, just to differentiate between the two British voices. Uh, <laughs> no, personally, I do not have bipolar. I have, I guess as an artist, I feel like I've been exposed to kind of a a range of I guess mental health issues that like it's fairly common I suppose this that sounds is that the right thing to say but yeah I I I, I feel like it, it's quite it's obviously well known that um it can be quite prevalent within the arts world I guess but personally I'm very fortunate to have not had my own experience of bipolar disorder yeah, and um, I also, like for me personally, I don't have bipolar. Um, I was in a relationship for a long time with somebody who who was bipolar. Yeah, like obviously I, I'm, this graphic novel is written from the perspective of the person who's had it or who has it, but I, I'm really interested in like, yeah, like the ways in which it sort of impacts on relationships. And when I was researching the story um, and speaking to uh, lots of psychologists and also it was funny, like all, uh, many of the psychologists who like specialise in bipolar, who I spoke to and the psychiatrists, many of them had bipolar themselves, which was why they'd been drawn to work in that area. And so talking to them, it was very interesting. And I think one of the biggest things that comes up is this idea of how it can affect relationships. And so that was sort of my starting point if you like having coming from that place of like being in that relationship but also then wanting to speak to people who had experienced it from the other side oh that's so fascinating that uh, I guess that makes a lot of sense for people who have that sort of disorder but then they are so drawn to how you can work around it or how to work with it as well yeah I was just going to say I don't obviously claim to be an expert I'm a storyteller so I'm trying to sort of you know, I, I wanted to kind of bring some awareness to it without trying to um, purport to know <laughs> all about it or how to kind of like provide any answers. The only sort of answer I think the book delves into a little bit is this idea of communication and how when like with any difficulties and with anything that's going on in our brains, like communication is so important. And it's the thing I think people find the hardest thing to do when they feel like they're failing or they feel like they're messing up. 
Oh my gosh. Oh, that is my entire life, basically. <laughs> um, so <laughs> please tell us about, uh, so I, we just kind of heard about the inspiration uh, behind this book, but then this was originally a stage show, right, Molly? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the show um, that was originally a one-woman show was performed by a brilliant actor called Karen Hill, and it told one part of the story that the book tells. So it it, it sort of tells well, two really. It it's set in in real time in the lecture theatre, um, and yeah, so that's how it began its life. Okay, and then so how did it transition to the current form right now into the graphic novel? And please tell us the story behind how you two were paired together for this project. Well, yeah, I'll let Lizzie, um, like, I'll, I'll, maybe Lizzie, you should say from your perspective, like why, what happened? Like what was that email you got from me um, that <laughs> brought you into this weird project? Well, I think it goes further back than that. So like, oh. Maybe, I don't know, some years ago, like quite a few years ago, a friend gave me a copy of one of Molly's poetry collections and oh. I loved it. Like I had like a real, oh my God, this is all of my feelings kind of moment because it was someone <laughs> roughly my age writing about things that I experienced and it was all like, oh my gosh, this is too real. And I, I believe I sent Molly an email to be like, oh, I love I love your work. Um, and Molly, very politely, sent a very nice response. Um, and I think at the end of that email, it said something like, oh, maybe we could work together one day. Because I was I was an illustrator. I was oh, of, yeah. Publicly an illustrator. So and then years down the line, maybe 2000, I guess it was 2018 or 19. I got this email from Molly to say, I've got this stage show, perhaps we could make it into a book and would you like to talk about that and obviously as I was already a Molly Naylor fan and had been to see her uh, performing and to see her story shows and um, read her poetry um, this is me revealing to Molly that I'm a massive, <laughs> massive <friend. laughs> How that's very exciting yeah I've kept, I've kept it on the down low and I've chosen this moment to reveal that um, <laughs> Yay, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not. Yeah, no, I am obsessed. And um, so when she asked, I was like, oh, my gosh, that would be perfect. Um, and we met up and we talked about it and we were both we did that thing where I think we'd both arrived early to the cafe. We were meant to be meeting with the plan of like, oh, I'll arrive early. I'll do 20 minutes of work before before we meet. But we'd both done that. So I think I was probably a bit flustered. I'm like, oh, gosh. Yeah, and we had this chat, and I think as an illustrator, it's very daunting anytime someone tells you, I've got this thing, I'd like yeah. you to illustrate it. It kind of, all of your organs contract. There's this panic, <laughs> fight or flight kind of moment of like, how mad is this thing going to be? Um, and yeah, the, what, what Molly was saying was just like, yep, yep, no, that that all sounds great, and I can do that, and I she was coming with like visual ideas and and all the things that you would want a writer to come with for that kind of conversation so um for me that's that's how I remember it happened um well I I remember it like similarly and like definitely that's that was very funny <laughs> like turning up early both of us and then being like oh but now so do we start now which is very yep. cute um but then I also remember like this sense of um 
because my my work or that particular play was like so wordy like it's it was just like a monologue and I remember in my head I had loads of thoughts on how to make it visual but I realized I hadn't like said any of them to you so then (laughs) I had to I felt like I was sort of like in real time like sort of pitching how it could not just be you know a woman talking because that's what it was for ages and then I and but I think obviously I did manage to persuade you that it was it had visual potential but then the next stage I think or one of the stages was like for me to go away and and like translate the or adapt the stage play into a screenplay format so that Lizzie had more of a sense of like what I was thinking visually um so that then she had more to work with and she wasn't trying to just sort of like invent scenes that I hadn't visualized so that was a sort of like a stickier but like really exciting stage uh because I like writing for screen as well so it's like translating my own work from stage to screen to then give it over to her so it was almost like Lizzie's like the director and the art director and I guess all the actors (laughs) and everything else and do you know what I mean so it's like a very it was very gorgeous um process for me to sort of be those early stages and then for her to be everything else Oh, yes. I have to say that the two of you together, it was just this beautiful coupling where you could see the story, but you could see how how well matched the, the illustrations were to all the words, too. And I just fell in love with it because I'm just like, oh, my God, this is exactly how I'm feeling. This is like there is that part where the main character, uh, she like Maggie, she feels like she's like water is just kind of pouring in. And I was like, oh. Yes, exactly. That's exactly how I feel when I feel overwhelmed and I'm anxious about something. And that's exactly like I can't feel it. I feel like I can't. Um, I can't like my head is definitely underwater the entire time. So, oh, that's so beautiful. I love the. I love hearing how um, Lizzie reached out to you first, and then <laughs> it all kind of came back full circle. It's such a like a beautiful story. I love that. And Lizzie, I have to say, like the there softness to your illustrations that even when dealing with hard topics it's like it has this really beautiful dreamy quality especially with the watercolor it's just stunning absolutely stunning and I loved how you use different colors too like there's like certain shifts of emotion through that color too like even the use of orange I thought because orange is normally um, like typically a really super warm color. I mean, even though it, it represents autumn for a lot of people, but you're using it in a specific way where it's like kind of almost shadowy and kind of darker too. Like I'm assuming that you were trying to just pick up specific moods through using those colors then, right? Yeah, definitely. And obviously there are um, uh, three, four distinct threads three distinct threads through the story and they have they're very separate um experiences for Maggie they're um they all collide at various points but um they have to be understandable as separate moments and 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 you have to be able to jump between them really quickly and obviously it's a an easy thing to do is to make the colors different but they're also for me, it felt like there had to be a kind of a tonal shift between them on a maybe on a subtler level, but then than simply just the colour. But I, th- I think, yeah, I was trying to trying to separate them as best as possible without making it too obvious. And with the with the orange, that was like trying to figure out how to make the lecture theatre dark, but without making it dark mm. on the page. That's just a nightmare to 
read and to look at and and the orange is kind of warm but maybe slightly oppressive like um so that that was that and then the the watercolor for the well it's actually it's like a an ink for the kind of bit where Maggie has to take herself just takes herself out of the world for a bit and, and goes to bed um and is having a, a really low moment and and that is a this ink um called quink it's ink with a q u at the start that's um like a writing ink that's a very traditional kind of brand name but it's not it's not really an artist's material but it does this lovely thing where you add water to it and it goes kind of brown and orange and you can't really control it um and that felt really appropriate for that section so it's kind of gray mm. but has these weird edges where bits of it have gone pink and orange and stuff um and yeah just trying to come up with ways of representing that that firstly didn't feel too cliche I think people can be quite heavy-handed with uh maybe with mental illness imagery um to to keep it in the real world um and but also to to kind of communicate like this is this is not fun <laughs> this is not this is not the color for her yeah I even found like in the beginning where it's a little bit faded when Maggie's chatting with her therapist versus mm-hmm. like the happier memories with her ex where the colors are way more vibrant and I mean honestly like I'm sure we all look back on our exes sometimes with rose-colored glasses mm-hmm. I mean I have and then I remember nope nope no there's a reason they're an ex <laughs> So <laughs> I just love that you have that transition as well, where it's just like, oh, and I also just didn't like I loved how it just flowed. It just flowed so beautifully as well. Mm-hmm. And so I I know that like attention to mental health has really grown in the past decade, but obviously even more so because of 2020 and if, which is like perfect timing for your graphic novel. But I feel like um certain disorders aren't really discussed or understood fully and I feel like bipolar is one of them and like there's obviously still a bit of a stigma and because of the giant mood swings especially for women who have bipolar I think a lot of people would attribute it to just a woman being hysterical or emotional I don't know if you found that in your research Molly um if you found anything like that yeah definitely yeah, definitely. And especially that generation, because I, I think, um, you know, we're a, a sort of new generation who are like maybe the first generation to be like pretty upfront, like it, about mental health stuff, like in, in some circles, like it's obviously easier if you're middle class. <laughs> it's easier if you're white. Do you know what I mean? They're like the different there's all these different like privileges that people have that make it easier for them to talk about mental health or more difficult. But I think Maggie's generation, like she I just think, you know, she would have grown up maybe not not having a clue what was happening to her and um, getting a diagnosis at a sort of late age when you've already learned how to cope with this yourself, you know, how to bury it, how to pretend, how to mask it. And so I think it's it's really hard to unlearn that stuff. You know, at the age of 60, it's really hard to, like, figure out how to be vulnerable when you grew up in a way that was sort of especially and, and being gay, the, the exact same thing with Maggie, you know, like, so she's had these two things to kind of contend with that, like, yeah, kids today, like, you know, the kids that she's talking to in the lecture hall, they might think that it's like no big deal to be to be queer or to be to to be bipolar but at the same time like that's not necessarily true for everybody so it's still 
yeah, I think you're right. I think there's still some some element of stigma about it. Um, and hopefully, you know, clearly we are moving in a better direction, in a good direction. But it's not we're not out of the woods yet in terms of like stigma and shame and all of those things and inequality. Mm. Yeah, and I feel like um, there's still stigma, especially for women in specific fields, too. And like, well, like, especially one that Maggie was working at, which is like a male dominated field, like as an astronomer. So then like, I love that frame in the story when Maggie feels like she's she's walking into the men's room and all the guys are just standing over her, staring down at her. It's just it's such a powerful image, but it's such a powerful part of the story, too, where yeah, it's so true. Like if you're the only woman in the room, you kind of feel like you have to like you're expected to rise to the challenge to overperform just to be seen as equals too. I mean, like obviously women can do their part, but then obviously <laughs> do you ever think there's a chance that men will do the part <laughs> to help as well <laughs> to create a level playing field? <laughs> um, well, you know, it's really tough because equality, you know, like equality feels like oppression when you're accustomed to great privilege. So it's like, I don't think they want to give it up. What <laughs> I can see that, but <laughs> they're going to have to. Exactly. I think it's just it's really it can be frustrating as well, because I know it's not only in male dominated fields, but sometimes where women are predominant as well. It's just this whole idea of like, especially from that generation, Maggie's generation, where they have to be perfect. I hate that word, but like mm. they they have to be perfect. They can't show any weaknesses. And I don't know, like, do you ever do either of you feel like there's going to be a shift away from perfection? for women because I know that we're still struggling with that right now <laughs> yeah I really hope so um and I think yeah that's one of the things we wanted to explore with Maggie and like she had to fail do you know what I mean she has to learn how to how to fail but like her whole life she's felt like failing would be the worst possible thing in the entire world um and then she you know she fails in this monumental way and it's about like okay I failed does it mean that everything up to this point was was worthless of course not like or and what and what happens now moving forward like how do I carry on living and I think like yeah I I mean Maggie's obviously like a sensationally talented woman but like I hope that like what she you know what hopefully the kids in the lecture room will realize is like yeah you, that's you can be fallible you can you can mess up and you know there can be more average women in the world because there are loads of average men in positions <laughs> of great power <laughs> oh that is so true <laughs> yes exactly. yeah <laughs> that is very true and I think like um even just Maggie having to admit that she has faults too it's something that I feel a lot of people tend to forget about and especially for like really hyper intelligent people like uh, when you're a scientist, you don't tend to think of them of having any sort of disorder, but it's known that like really highly intelligent people tend to suffer from disorders, like with bipolar being one of them as well. Yeah, yeah so I, exactly. It's, it was just really fascinating. I love that sort of like being completely open about that in the story because it was just so it's a really beautiful way when people can show their vulnerable side without and feeling safe doing so and for her to do it in front of like a huge lecture hall which was kind of like oh my god that that is just it's empowering but at the same time that's so nerve-wracking too yeah mm -hmm. 
So would you say that like the story and the message behind the story is more about being comfortable with any disorders you may have and to just be yourself then? Yeah, I guess it's about like how the the problem isn't the problem. Like the problem you think you have isn't the problem. So like you might think your problem is that you're bipolar, but actually it's not. For Maggie, it's not that she's bipolar, it's that she can't talk about her bipolar. And those are really subtle things. And I think like that's been on like my journey to sort of personal happiness and, um, you know, waking up and being a person in the world in a way that feels like authentic. And, you know, in alignment, I feel like so much of my journey has been about accepting what's going on with myself and not blocking things and not trying to suppress things. And so I think, yeah, that's one of the sort of that's one of like my main themes of my life at the moment. It's like, yeah, how to like, you know, when when I feel bad, how to be like, that's OK. Or, you know, when something isn't going well, that's OK. And <laughs> I don't know how that any of that chimes with you, Lizzie. Yeah, Lizzie, please tell us, like, if you feel like, um, oh, especially as an artist and illustrator and author, I mean, like, how do you feel about being able to just be vulnerable and through your art, especially? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I agree with Molly um, and feel largely the same things that she feels. And I imagine that you feel and that I guess the majority of people are feeling. I I definitely feel like there is a part of me that relates to Maggie regardless of her having this bipolar disorder and regardless of her being an astronomer like a completely unrelated field to what I do um I think that like the thing that maybe I think affects all young people when they're told like they're clever and they're capable like I I feel like being told you're clever when you're a kid maybe does a real number on you in that you get lumbered with this thing that anything less than being clever or being you know oh they can get on with it on their own they're very you know capable or whatever any any kind of uh dent in that armor can really throw you off and I think it took it's it takes a long time to get over the that way of looking at yourself the the way the narrative that you're maybe handed as a kid and the same with kids who are told they're not smart it can take a long time to to be able to see yourself from a different angle um and with my own work I think like I I guess that like being I don't know being like top of the class or (laughs) whatever it is with with drawing or writing or whatever I'm doing like it's been nice to kind of let go of that over the past I guess 10 years or so like slowly realize that you can be more wobbly (laughs) in all aspects of your life and that's kind of okay yeah because that sense of being told that you're clever and you're special when you're a kid or or like or the opposite like it it just Mm. it creates like a really um a really sort of like conditional relationship with yourself because it's like great I'm special I'm really good at acting or dancing or art but then it's like you're, you're it's like this message that you're sending to yourself or that you've had sent to you or programmed into you that like well that's great all very well if you like keep up doing this thing very well and that you know that's like it's a hard way to move through the world um yeah both both way around like just to, to feel like you have to earn your place everywhere is a very exhausting feeling and I oh. think it's like exhausting and, and it happens to women a lot and, and I think like yeah people who end up being in the arts I think like that's mm. a lot of it it's like what Lizzie was saying in the beginning about like people when maybe the pretent- propensity to have like not amazing mental health in the arts I think it's maybe linked to that like this sense of like I'm proving that I'm allowed to exist and like you're allowed to exist 
whether you're like you, you know you don't have to be special you don't no one has to be like this magical special little star you can just be a regular person and that's fine and I think being like the pandemic has been quite good for that because I think loads of people couldn't do the things that they normally do to show that they're special like mm-hmm. princes and I love that <laughs> <laughs> my god yes it was such a huge relief to be able to let go of those images of or that persona of yourself that you created in order to survive in society as well. Yeah. And yeah. So I, that is so true. And I love what both of you said. And I really like how Lizzie, like how, how you demonstrated where there was that split of, there was a line across Maggie's face as well. It kind of showcases her mm-hmm. mental state in that moment. It was just so beautiful where like, it's just, yes, exactly. There are times when I'm like that, where I'm like, okay, which side do I need to show to people and which side can I hide kind of thing as well. And it was just, it was, it was just done so well. I love, absolutely love that. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say Maggie was a really interesting character to engage with visually, I think. On on one level, simply because she's an older woman, and I think that that's a rare protagonist um, and quite, like, it was a real selling point for me when Maggie when Molly pitched the story and Maggie to me was like yes she's an older woman this is really interesting and then yeah like coming up with ways of explaining how she's feeling without overdoing it but also oh no I've lost the trail of my sentence I looked away from what what I was doing and now I've lost it so carry on (laughs) (laughs) that's totally fine if you come like if you if it comes into your head just yell it out it'll be fine I also wanted to talk about that section where, especially for bipolar people, communication is such an important part of it. And I don't know if you found this in your research, Molly, but like I also kind of looked into it a bit more where they need to have clear communication, like open and honest communication. But then communication seems to be Maggie's weak point as well. And I kind of liked how you how you portrayed that, because it's just she's a brilliant scientist, as you said but she's uncomfortable and she has to seek help from a therapist and she's only forced to do so because of her anxiety. And even then she kind of tells the therapist that like, well, it's a pseudoscience, like you can't measure it at all. So it's almost as if like it's, you're showing that like she understands that she needs to communicate, but at the same time, there's something preventing her from really communicating as well with real people in her environment. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think like when you're a scientist, you know, she is used to dealing with maths and she is used to working to working things out. And I think she finds great comfort in certainty and in being able to do a sum and it tell you the answer and, you know, working in that way. And I think I think she's been hiding really a lot of her life behind like behind her field. And actually, you know, like there are some things where you She's used to taking professional risks, but she's not used to taking personal risks. And I mm. think like, and I relate to that a lot as well. Like, you know, I've spent a lot of my life being like absolutely fine and big and bold and brave in my like in my work. And then but not in my personal life because it's a different thing. You know what I mean? It's like it's it's very different when, you know, she hasn't really been taught how to do that ever. So at the age of 60, she's finally maybe going to learn how to like be loved and how to love someone and like you know maybe it's too late with Jane who knows but it's like it's something we've got to learn at some point and you know some of us learn it when we're 16 and some of us learn like we'll never learn it or we'll learn it when we're like 70 but I think it's like one of the most precious things you can learn 
Mm-hmm. Definitely. And it almost seems like the project Maggie was working on for Elpis, which I also, another side note, love the name because the goddess of hope, how perfect. Mm. <laughs> and it almost seems to mirror her relationship with her ex, Jane, where it was just about a lack of communication in the end. Am I in the name? Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, I love that. That's so cool. Yeah, I, I was like, you know, when you, I, this is like in the stage play, I had no idea if that was like really obvious and like this really like cheesy parallel or if it was like completely obtuse and no one could see it. And actually like the responses I got were perfect because it's like some people got it and other people didn't. So like you'd hear someone in the bar afterwards being like, well, yeah, it's a metaphor. And they'd be like, oh my God, it was, you know what I mean? So it's like those that I definitely thought about that link, but had no way of knowing if it was really <laughs> obvious or not. I yeah, it was just it was just really well done in that sense because like it's not like in your face metaphor <laughs> that sometimes people need to be knocked over the head, but it was just like this nice subtle way of just showing that, you know what, like communication is really important in relationships regardless of professional or personal. And when you're communicating, you need to be able to have a two-way communication, like two-way, it's a two-way street for people. It can't just be one-sided. And so it's almost like you could see the breakdown of communication for between Maggie and her ex, Jane, and see that like, oh, okay, so then this is what happens as people go on. And yeah. so hopefully, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, I was going to say, I think like the real strength for me, the real strength of the story is that it's so like it's so deeply specific. Maggie is a 60 year old woman who's queer, who's an astronomer, who's got bipolar disorder. She's got this mission. She's got to give a lecture. There's so many really intensely specific details. And yet, mm. like the crux of it is a thing that I would say 95 percent of people could relate to in that everyone has experienced a a point at which they probably didn't communicate what they needed to and something got lost. And so it's kind of exciting that all of these things crop up in the story, but at the same time, it could be any number of combinations of things. It's the communication element that I think will speak to the most people, I guess. Yeah, I definitely related to that. There were so many times that I didn't, I chose not to like share specific information with a with my ex and that kind of blew up in the end so <laughs> like, <there's nothing laughs> uh, yeah and it's that thing of like being perfect again like you know you meet somebody and like I think it's all it's really back to front like we meet someone and we go hello I'm perfect now would you like to spend the next x amount of years discovering that I'm not perfect and that's a lie and I have loads of faults like why not like do the, do it the other way around be like hi I'm kind of a mess but here are the ways in which I'm like maybe also awesome <laughs> so yeah I'm trying to do that more now I'm trying to like introduce myself as just like such an idiot and then hopefully people will be pleasantly surprised <laughs> oh my god I highly doubt you're an idiot but because like <laughs> She's a fan of yours too, so I mean, like, there's no way. Um, but I, I understand. Like, um, I, I love the line that the therapist says to Maggie, where like, when we strive for perfection, we relinquish our humanity. I'm like, oh my god, this is such a good line. I love this because it's so true. I mean, like, we really give up who we are just as like actual imperfect people, and 
why like I don't know who started the whole idea of being perfect in the first place but it honestly really <laughs> sane <laughs> I read that same line I reread the book when the copy my copies arrived um I read reread the book and when I read that line I was like oh good job Nayla well done <laughs> it's a good one well done I must admit like when I wrote that one I was I had an early lunch do you know what I mean <laughs> good you deserve it <laughs> I mean hey you know what the best people tend to come up with the great great ideas when they have early lunches right so it's yeah so exactly <laughs> so, can you tell us, so a little bit behind the scenes were there any sort of challenges or obstacles that you came up against while you were going through this entire process for both of you um I mean yes definitely there, there was some like I think it's hard to yeah so like the pandemic came at a not a great point because we were about to start working on it and we you know there's not there's not like a ton of money in comics as we know and so we wanted to apply for some money from the uh, in English Arts Council um to you know support the project a bit and we just like put this application together and then the pandemic happened and the arts council said like oh by the way we're not taking any applications at the moment because of the pandemic and we're gonna we're gonna give pe- money to people who really who really need it and and like that's I'm I bet I'm so glad they did that it's a really amazing thing like they did loads of amazing work but it just let it made us kind of go like oh should we stop should we not do it like should we carry on like what should we do and then and I didn't like I felt bad because I'd done all of my work basically like I'd written the script and mm-hmm. so it was now it was like over to Lizzie so I didn't feel like I could be like no Lizzie you have to carry on for no money for like do you know what I mean and then but then what I was so pleased one day when Lizzie was like well, should we just do it anyway and that made me really happy because it I, I, I was like oh that's she's passionate about it do you know what I mean like I, I thought she was anyway but it was just not it was like it just felt nice and then but then we also didn't spend any time together like we'd we'd aimed to spend loads of time like in the same room as each other and Mm. we couldn't because of lockdown and so but actually I don't know like it would have been lovely to be in the room or like to go to the pub and talk about things but because we sort of I don't know we sort of had had it set up so I think we were it was okay how was that was did you feel like that Lizzie or did you do you feel like you were sort of like floating around in space on your own like not knowing what to do (laughs) no I think so yeah I remember saying like yeah let's let's just do it in a kind of we've got this far it would be mad not to actually get it done and then I suppose straight after that the Arts Council reopened their application process so it was like the universe rewarding us for our commitment or something like like yeah we were committed enough to do it anyway and then they were like yeah you can have the money um So we were very lucky and we got we got some funding and that meant that I was able to really get my head down and um, draw it. And and for me, I guess the challenge was like having this script, just being like, oh, God, this has all got to be pictures. Um, Mm. And and I guess normally when I make books, I'm kind of doing it. I I tend to write my own. So I'm doing it for myself. And Mm. I'm very gentle on myself. (laughs) it comes to that (laughs) oh well done you've done three drawings you can go home um whereas suddenly I was working with someone else's text and I had someone else to you know not let down and and that was quite I guess daunting but also quite motivating in that 
in a point in time when everything felt really hard um Mm. I knew that like I I had to deliver this for obviously for Avery Hill who were publishing the book but also for Molly who'd spent all this time making it so that it was a thing I could draw and that was really helpful uh but it was it was definitely daunting to look at the script because it was longer than anything I'd worked with before and just more complex and had a space station and an airport in it. <laughs> if I have any advice for writers working with illustrators, don't put an airport in your story. <laughs> they'll hate you. They'll hate you. Yeah, and like I had this thing where I would go, I would like realize that a story beat wasn't working, but only after I'd seen Lizzie's picture. So I'd like I'd be like, oh, I think that works. And then I'd see the picture, I'd be like, oh no it doesn't actually that's not clear and it's not Lizzie's fault it's because what I described wasn't working but then I had would have this feeling of terrible guilt because then I'd be like I've made her do this work and now I'm going to be like no delete whereas like I love deleting my own writing but like it felt like such a big deal to like delete you know someone's (laughs) someone's image but like obviously you have to do it because it has to make sense and that's the sort of by that stage the the most important thing is like does this does this work as a story Mm -hmm. kill your darlings right (laughs) yeah or like kill someone else's darlings which is harder (laughs) yes yes oh my god yeah that is even more painful um after all the time that lizzie spent on (laughs) But that's good to know. Never put an airport scene no. in a graphic novel. That's good. I mean, actually, there's probably plenty of people who would love that, but um, no, 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 no. Too many straight lines for me. <laughs> but that's what I really loved about your drawings, though, Lizzie. It's just like everything just felt really organic. It wasn't just, I mean, like, obviously there are straight lines, but at the same time, I think it really spoke to this whole image of not being perfect it was just really beautifully organic yeah I think that's 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 something that's really important to me um and so I'm I'm glad that that's an enjoyable thing and not an annoying thing for people to look at oh my gosh it was completely enjoyable (laughs) completely enjoyable please know that please know that (laughs) (laughs) uh so this is really exciting because your book is coming out basically in like the next month so which is crazy how September is already here my god um but please tell us all the important dates for this book and where people can find it oh my gosh I don't know when it's out it's the 25th right 25th of September I'm pretty sure yeah it's I think they're gonna start Yeah. You can pre-order it now and they start sending sending them out the week of the 20th. So, yeah, and we're going to um, be having a launch in one in London and one in Norwich, where I live, which is probably quite far for, you know, some of your listeners. But that's what's <laughs> going to happen if anyone's listening in the UK. <laughs> um, and it's published by Avery Hill Publishing. So if you go to their website, that's where you do the pre-order and you'll get a signed book plate that we've both scribbled our names on and um uh, you should also check out just their other books in general i think they make beautiful and interesting graphic novels that are, are well worth your time definitely yeah oh my gosh this has been such an amazing conversation with the both of you i have to thank you both so much for taking time to chat with the popstar audience about your book and mental health and the whole idea behind community like how important communication is 
reg- disorder, reg- like regardless of disorders. Please, everyone who's listening, please order pre-order their book. Pre-orders help a lot. I don't think a lot of people realize that, but like pre-orders help immensely. So please yes. go the book and definitely please tell us where everyone can find you individually as well. So you can find me on Twitter. Uh, I'm just at Molly Naylor. Uh, or I have a website, mollynaylor.com, which has lots of all of my stuff because I do lots of different things. Um, and then I'm on Instagram, molly.naylor. And I think I am at Lizzie Stewart on Twitter, Lizzie with a Y. Um, and on Instagram, Lizzie underscore Stewart, I think. And then my website is, oh God, mortifyingly embarrassing because um, <laughs> I named my website when I was about 19 after a song that I liked. And then never got around to changing it and now it's gone too far and I'm stuck with it but my website is www.abouttoday.co.uk um and at least it rhymes but um yeah that's where you can find all of my various books and things oh and you are both so prolific as well because I know you you both have many projects on the go at the moment so please everyone go check them Mm -hmm. out there amazing artists there okay so molly is a scriptwriter. she's a poet she's a performer she's a graphic novelist and she's an author she's like she has two poetry collections go check them out lizzie has so many things and like she, she's been worked she's worked on so many books in the graphic novel field as well artists illustrators she's an author as well please go check them out thank you both again for joining us today on the pop star podcast i cannot wait to see what else do you guys work on together? Thanks so much. Thank you so me. much. Thank it's you been really lovely. Thoughtful <laughs> questions. Thank you. Oh, thank you. You've been listening to the Popzara podcast. For more exciting content, check out popzara.com for the latest on games, movies, tech, and more. <laughs>